0: Welcome to The Big Rich Show. This podcast will focus on conversations with friends and acquaintances within the four-wheel drive industry. Many of the people that I will be interviewing, you may know the name, you may know some of the history, but let's get in depth with these people and find out what truly makes them a four-wheel drive enthusiast. So now's the time to sit back, grab a cold one, and enjoy our conversation.
1: Whether you're crawling the red rocks of Moab or hauling your toys to the trail, Maxis has the tires you can trust for performance and durability. Four wheels or two. Maxis tires are the choice of champions because they know that whether for work or play, for fun or competition, Maxis tires deliver. Choose Maxis. Dread victoriously.
0: Why should you read Forlow Magazine? Because 4Low Magazine is about your lifestyle, the four-wheel drive adventure lifestyle that we all enjoy. Rock crawling, trail riding, event coverage, vehicle builds, and do-it-yourself tech all in a beautifully presented package. You won't find 4Low on the newsstand rack, so subscribe today and have it delivered to you. We are here with none other than Emily Miller, A lot of the ladies in the United States in off-road will know who Emily is or have heard about her because of her recent endeavor with the Rebel Rally. But what a lot of you may not know is that she has a real extensive background from what I understand in everything from marketing to racing, and we are going to find out all about Emily Miller starting now. So, hey, Emily, thank you for coming on Conversations with Big Rich. You're only the second female that I've interviewed first one was uh, was Shelby Hall and we are now getting to you and you have a close relationship with uh, Shelby's granddad and we'll get into that. But we'd like to start off with where you started and what were your influences? Where did you grow up? So let's let's get started. Thank you.
1: Sounds good. Thanks for having me.
0: Where 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 did life start for Emily Miller?
1: Life started for me in Little Rock, Arkansas. But home always has been um, a combination of Little Rock and Crested Butte, Colorado, where I spent a lot of time in in my life and also growing up. Yeah, both places have had big impacts on me, and I think a lot of people don't really realize that, you know, I was born, you know, in in the South, and yeah.
0: You don't have that Arkansas accent.
1: Wait till I get tired.
0: Wait till you get tired. There you go. <laughs> you
1: might have heard it a few times on The Rebel.
0: <laughs> you were born in Little Rock, but you spent time in Crested Butte. At what age did you did you start spending time in Crested Butte? So
1: uh, When I was young. Um, I think probably the first time I was there, I was nine years old, maybe earlier. Um, I had family and quite a bit of family in Colorado. And my ho- I still have a home there today that I don't get to see enough and nephews and uh, cousins, etc. So yeah, I I miss Colorado. Definitely a fish out of water. I live now in Encinitas, California. And I married the lifeguard captain here. And I love uh, where I live. I love Encinitas. But at heart, I'm a mountain girl.
0: I understand that my heart is in the mountains as well. The Sierra Nevadas. I take it then if you're in Crested Butte, you skied.
1: Yeah, I I skied. I I went to school in Gunnison, Colorado, and, you know, skiing is my passion. Um, After spending a lot of my life on skis, I ended up picking up a snowboard and telemark skis and just about, you know, anything I could. Yeah, my, you know, passion is... Picking a line and being in the moment and being outside and boy, you know, skiing and then the sports I did, you know, in the mountains, including mountain biking, um, cycling, they really shaped my life. And in fact, they were probably a real impact on, you know, being able to drive off road. There's, there's so much translation between, um, those sports, they're all line picking sports. And I think that that's one of the things that living in Southern California has, it's worked out, you know, I love surfing. Um, you know, I, I, I think I'm just picking the replacement sports because my, my heart is still, you know, on the snow, but boy, uh, you know, driving in sand dunes in Southern California, um, and driving off road, kind of takes me back to that, and so I think it helps me keep connected to sort of what was my old life.
0: That's awesome. Who in your, in your young life was probably the biggest inspiration, say, up until 10 or 11 years old?
1: Easily my brother and my dad, for sure. Uh, my brother was one of the coolest guys I think anyone could ever meet. And he was a phenomenal athlete. He was really the def- a definition of extreme athlete before that term existed. And he was uh, 15 years older than I was, or I, I am. And I think that I just idolized him so much that I would try to do whatever he did. And then the other person was my dad. And my dad passed away a year ago, about a little over a year ago. And, you know, my dad uh, just always... Um, believed in me and always uh, just treated me like you know almost like a peer and always worked to educate me and encourage me take me to do cool stuff and so did my brother and so um, they were no question my biggest influences although I have to say that my mother passed away about five and a half years ago on Mother's Day and but she's the voice in my head so while I idolized, you know, my dad, and my brother, my mom ended up being a much bigger impact on my life now that I'm older. And I can see that, you know, really well. And so it's pretty great to have the people that surround you as family be your biggest role models.
0: I have to agree with that. What was the family business before you got into, while well, you were growing up? I understand you you farmlands and stuff
1: yes um farming um investments natural gas yeah and it's been in our family um, for a long time and i now run that i actually started really managing that for my father um you know right after my mother died and then now it's something that i um you know, I've been managing regularly, but now that really the pressure's on, you know, dad's passed on, um, which has been interesting because I have a sports marketing business and I did something crazy, which is go and start the Rebel rally.
0: Yeah, never enough on the plate, right?
1: Never enough. Yes. Actually, I'm starting to believe that there can be enough on the plate. <laughs> I always lived my life like there was, I always needed more, but yeah, there's a lot.
0: So let's talk about the sports marketing that's more in line with uh some of the things that our listeners do with motorsports mm-hmm. and competitive rock crawling and racing and stuff. So how did uh how did that all come about?
1: Oh, wow. It was really interesting because um I lived in San Francisco and um, after school, and I was in the sports medicine world and, you know, absolutely loved it. But it was at a really interesting time where the first round of dot-com was rising up, basically. And it was a really exciting time in the Bay Area, super entrepreneurial. And I got the opportunity to work in dot-com because, it was is very interesting. Uh, one of the first people that pulled me into it said, hey, I can teach you. You can learn marketing. You can learn all these things. His name was Dick Williams. Amazing guy. I got an opportunity to work in dot-com while I was in my work in sports medicine. And I worked for a phenomenal clinic, a phenomenal, world-class, world-renowned doctor. Um, I worked with famous athletes. I rehabbed and trained them for, you know, world championships to Olympics to national events, et cetera. It was extremely rewarding. I loved it. I got the opportunity at this time in San Francisco to work in .com. And it was pretty cool. Uh, when I got my first opportunity, they asked me to evaluate a company and I said, what do you mean? Like, come on, I have a glorified PE degree, you know, <laughs> what do I know? And, one of the gentlemen said to me, he said, look, we have lawyers, we have programmers, we have uh, people in those specialties, but it's about the content. And he said, we need people who are content experts, but we also need people who know how to work on a team, never give up, work super hard. And he goes, you can learn marketing, you can learn business development, you can learn all these things and books. He goes, I, I can teach you things, but I can't teach you, you know, those skills. I can't teach you how to never give up and to want to win yet still be a team player. He goes, you either have it or you don't. And so I took that open door. You know, that's what my, my mom would always tell me. It's, you know, look for the door, look for the open door, look for the open window. And it was at good timing in my life. My brother had passed away the year before. I'd given so much and plowed so much of myself into the work I was doing. And I was ready for a new challenge. It really led me to all the opportunities that have continued to open doors, keep my life adventurous.
0: I'm always surprised when I hear you talk and you talk about the people that you know and you work with one of the, you know, I I'm a skier or I was as a youth I've always watched the Olympics and everything. And then all of a sudden, boom, we're at the rebel and there's Wendy Fisher, you know, and then you have a surfer that you work with that maybe we can talk a little bit about. Then the doctor, you know, you're the sports doctor up in, up in San Francisco. And I'm just I'm just amazed at at the the people that you have around you that I guess came from that dot com era getting into the the sports medicine and all that from the sports medicine into marketing how did that how did that kind of evolve
1: yeah it's pretty interesting cuz I was more on the athlete side of the world an athlete myself, but then worked with all these like world-class athletes. And it was really super rewarding. And I love that coaching side. I would say that there are a lot of similarities between the two. And it really wasn't that hard of a transition to transition into sports marketing. And I've stayed very focused on sports marketing. And the reason why is, you know, I get asked to do other projects and sometimes I'll take them on depending on whether I'm passionate about it. But I've always been so passionate about sports. You know, it was a real easy transition into the sports marketing side of it. Really, that happened from the dot-com side. I ended up really being able to learn the marketing side in a uh, really interesting time where the world was transitioning to digital. And so I was in kind of more early on the side of the digital you know, dot-com world and combining it with sports and then having to really make the world know about what we were doing. And gosh, you know, I, I feel like with the people that I worked with, I I was very fortunate that I got to work with really top-notch people and I learned a lot, you know, probably school of hard knocks, you know, and just get out there, roll up your sleeves and make mistakes. I was very fortunate too, that I was allowed to make mistakes um, learn from them and apply them. And, you know, I think we were sort of, there were a lot of us and I was also, you know, involved in, in the earlier days in the action sports world, which was a really exciting time, you know, with Red Bull events and things like that. So it was almost like a perfect storm to take a bunch of dynamic people out there in the world that were passionate about what they do and build, brands, build projects, build sports and genres. And, you know, there's a pretty great group of people that were kind of all involved in that era. And I think that was also, you know, I, I really do feel very fortunate that it was the right time. It was the right profession switch with the right mentors. And I was, um, young enough, but with some experience and, it really was a fun ride. You know, it just it was fun because I got to learn so much. But then what happened was my brother ended up dying after a motorcycle accident. And he had three young sons and stepdaughter. Those kids were super important to me. And so and they were in Gunnison, Colorado. And so for a while, I commuted back and forth between San Francisco while, you know, while I was in dot-com and and had still been doing kind of consulting and, and work in sports medicine and with the Stone Clinic, with the doctor you were referring to. I remember my little nephew, Daniel, who is actually now a great filmmaker, editor, um, you know, Daniel, Mayfield. Uh, Daniel Mayfield. Yeah, yeah, I love his
0: mustache. Uh, that's so <laughs> his dad. Porn. It's
1: so his dad <laughs> can't grow a beard, but definitely can, can grow the stash. And Daniel, we were out on a bike ride and he was nine years old and he stopped me and he said, you always said, if anything ever happened to mom or dad, you'd be there for us. What are you going to do? You know, are you just going to fly back and forth? Or are you going to be here? And I went back to San Francisco that week and I put in my notice and I packed my bags and, you know, I had built a house up in Crested Butte and I went back home and I helped raise them and I took a little bit of time off. I really needed the time off, you know, and I said, I'm just going to take a, a little bit of time. And I ended up uh, working with a, a group in sport, in production And I realized, and it was great, you know, doing fun events. And I realized that there was no reason why I couldn't go ahead and start my own business. Um, I had felt I had learned so much. Like I said, I, you know, I I don't have some in San Francisco, you know, everybody's like, I have a Stanford MBA. I have a Harvard MBA. Well, I didn't, but I felt like I had because of the, the experiences that I had been given. Uh, You know, I had a real street education in in the marketing, sports marketing, business development world, and digital, and a, a real passion. I have a real passion for digital and technology. So I went ahead and started my own business. And I realized that I could help this one company, but I didn't need to work for them full time. Um, I love working super hard. It, I don't have any problem working a 15, 17-hour day. And I said, I'm starting my own business. I was very fortunate that I immediately got some great projects. I felt very blessed by that. I also wanted the flexibility to be able to be there for my nephews, you know, teach them how to snowboard, get out and go ski with them, you know, every chance I could be at all their hockey games and really be an active part of raising them. If that had happened to me, my brother would have done the same thing for me. And so I did. Turns out running your own business doesn't necessarily give you all the flexibility in the world, but it it did give me the ability to work from wherever I needed to and to be there for them and to have a flexible schedule, which I needed. And so that's how, you know, once I got good clients, which happened, like I said, happened quickly, I just said, this is the path I'm on. And I think that that was... Um what year is it? Two thousand and twenty. Oh yeah. Twenty twenty.
0: Twenty
1: twenty. How can we forget? Perfect sight. Yeah. So I've been I've had my business now for nineteen years. Very good. Yeah.
0: It's like me. I started in two thousand and uh it's it's been a roller coaster, that's for sure. That's when I yeah. walked away from corporate America saying, I'm done and decided to just jump in and become an event promoter. But uh, at a lot smaller level than like the events that you you helped with. I mean, you you mentioned Red Bull, and I understand that's uh, it was one of those events where you met your husband. Yes. (laughs) So let's talk a little bit about that.
1: (laughs) Yeah. What were you doing? Um, I was running a big event for Red Bull called Flutog, and he was our water safety team. Um, You know, these are. 65, 70,000-plus person events. You build the venue from scratch. I had a great team, um, but I needed a water safety team, and I needed um, people who could do uh, rescue on jet skis. Apparently, I met him at the first one, and then the one I did in Baltimore, Maryland. Um, he was there, and I, I, I was in a room with a meeting, in a meeting, and I won't give the details, but he was the voice of reason in some, unre- in some in in some, some un- in some unreasonable moments, there was some. <laughs> so, he was a voice of reason, and Larry is the his name's Laramie Giles. He's the lifeguard captain here in Encinitas. He's actually been doing it for I think thirty two years, and he's amazing. And he's also um, very well known for uh, jet ski or um, PWC uh, rescue, especially in big waves. And he really pioneered a lot of that and a lot of, um, you know, traveled all over, uh, teaching it to other lifeguards, et cetera. And he's um, a very humble, very solid, grounded individual. And I remember when I heard his voice speaking, I'd been told by one of the Red Bull athletes, a guy named um, uh, Randy Lane, and he had said, hey, you know, you need a water safety program. You need to call this guy. Captain Larry Giles he is the man I'm like yeah 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 well does he have his certifications um yeah just call the guy he is the man I'm like, okay great Larry Giles the man um, <laughs> sent him off to the risk management group de- department but I remember when I heard him speaking in that room I went ah that's the man you know I Remember talking to him, and I knew that next day that I'd marry him. Wow. Knew for sure. I don't think he knew. (laughs) (laughs) But, um, and then, you know, we had such busy schedules. I had a really gnarly schedule. I was doing another event, I was traveling, um, then I was racing the Bahama 1000. And so we've developed this phone relationship. You know, got to know each other that way. And then um our first date, I took him to Whistler um snowboarding because it was a hundred and ten inch base like the first week of December, and which, you know, is great. And I had a passport and a snowboard with me, and I said, Let's go. And we hopped on a plane the next day and and then and then we knew for sure, you know, that was it.
0: That's awesome. Great yeah. story.
1: He he's a great guy.
0: And what about what year was that?
1: Mm. Oh, I'm so bad with dates. I'm so happy we can, I can remember our anniversary, which I think is April 18th. That was 14 years ago. Okay. Oh yeah, it was 14 years ago. So I just gave away my age. There you go. Oh,
0: well, I can edit that out.
1: Okay, thank you. Hmm. Yeah, that was pretty cool.
0: So how did uh, how did you get involved with Rod Hall and off-road racing. Since this is an off-road motorized conversations with big, rich podcast,
1: let's go there. Okay. So I had my business, Soulside Network, and one of my clients was the tourism authority for Reno Lake Tahoe. And I had been asked to come to uh, a a board meeting at the National Automobile Museum, and they, there was a open um, board member position um, for uh, the Tourism Authority. And so I went in, I, I sat, you know, got to meet everybody there and love the hair car collection. You know, I grew up as a kid with my dad. You know, I never went to Disneyland or Disney World. I went to see famous buildings and famous car collections. And so um, I was sitting in this meeting I remember exactly who was there. This little guy sitting there, and I mean, he's a little guy, you know, small in stature, big in presence. Absolutely. And uh, he just started, you know, talking to me and like, hey, you know, can I get your phone number? Let's work together, you know. You know, didn't know who he was, although I love cars and I love car collections and I love motorsports. I really didn't know off-road. I really didn't. And he kept calling me and I started spending some time with him. He had some projects he wanted me to help him with. Uh, One of them was to revive um, the Off-Road Motorsports Hall of Fame that he had purchased from Ed Perlman, the assets of. Um, Wanted me to help him get a tier one vendor status with General Motors, who he raced for. Um, he did a lot of events and a lot of projects for them, um, but as a like a, a kind of a layer down or a couple of layers down in the vendor process. And so I said, "Yeah, sure, you know, I, I can help you." Plus, he once Rod Hall gets your cell phone number, uh, you hear from him a lot and or get te- a lot of texts. And I know some people listening to that will understand this, right, Nate? Um, so. Uh, <laughs> hey, Hunt. Yes. <laughs> and, you know, it's it's really endearing. It's su- super fun. So I really got to know Rod and I, you know, I still didn't really necessarily know. I got to learn his depth, you know, in the sport as I got to know him better. But, you know, one day um, we, we started spending tons of time working together and with projects together. And then he taught me how to drive off road. I remember the first drive we did was up around Virginia city. And I mean, he literally taught me the car like we teach in our classes and that like the classes we taught together, you know, starts out, tells me exactly what's going on in, in very simple terms and really easy to understand. And, you know, I really enjoyed driving and I really enjoyed the time that I got to spend with him, just in a car and talking and hearing his stories, and then I was very fortunate that we were we were actually going to a meeting one day. We we're going to go get coffee with Rod. You always go get coffee, and we went to go get some coffee. We we're driving, and he said, "Oh, you know, I found the, n- the new person, the new driver for our team," and I went, "Oh, cool. You know who?" And he said, "You," and I. Didn't totally know what that under, that meant. I kind of figured he had wanted me, he, he was racing for the time, um, at the time for Hummer. And he said, you know, I, I kind of figured that he just wanted me to drive cars and park them in like parking lots and guerrilla market events <laughs> that I was already at. I mean, cause that would have made sense, right. you know, that just made all the sense in the world. And he said, no, I, you know, I can teach you how to race. You are going to have to learn how to win. He said, I can teach you. He goes, I need someone who can be coached and who won't give up. And I love being coached. And for anybody who knows me, don't I don't give up. up. And it was really fun. And But I really love being coached. And And he said also, he said, the worst habit you can have in driving or racing is driving too fast. He said, you can't break that from a driver. And he said, you know, he had tried, he's also tried to coach people in the past. And I think, you know, that, you know, sometimes that worked out better than other times, but he said, you know, the most important thing is that, you know, you've got to take the, you know, you've got to take the instruction. And I did, you know, I soaked it up. I loved it. Um, I started, uh, driving for his team and I, you know, which is Rod's way, like you just do. I knew I would always have a job. Rod would tell me what the job was and my job was to do exactly what he said. It was not to prove anything to anybody. It was not about me. It was about making that car look good or do exactly what I needed to do, which was get it to him or, you know, whatever it was. But you did what Rod, your job was to do what Rod Hall told you to do. And um, it was great. It was awesome. I learned a lot. Um, We became very, very great friends. And I worked with him uh, for years. I started out as a demo driver in the Michelin BF Goodrich program, just taking people to do hot laps. you know, they knew my background in events. And so I was able to come in and streamline that, the light truck tire program for him. Um, and that was really fun. So Rod and I coached together, direct, you know, developed exercises together, you know, drove, uh, taught people how to drive, you know, thousands, we ran thousands of people through that program and, you I got to pre-run with him so much and, you know, so many, you know, trips down Baja, back up Baja, all through Nevada, um, all over. I went to, you know, Australia with him and, and, and drove him around Western Australia, which was hilarious. We spent so much time together and, you know, I just learned a lot. You know, I learned a lot of lessons and a lot all of his one is, you know, Rod Hallisms, you know, his one-liners. You know, I I hear them all the time. Um he had the best one-liners. He had I agree. the he had the best stories. Uh yeah, I I remember um we laid out a program for General Motors to launch two new cars and we um did it as a it was running the original Baja One thousand race course, from Rod's memory, and we spent so much time like pre-running it and getting ready for that. And uh, you know, I've heard, and so many times I've heard so many stories. Like, well, at this rock, you know, Roger Mears did this, you know, and at this, you know, uh, you know, at, at at this corner, you know, Parnelli Jones did this, and you know, I just heard all those stories, and it was incredible to hear that from him and. I I was just very, very blessed for, you know, a decade. I got to spend all the time in the world with that man. And and it was really cool. You know, it it was so important to Rod that the Hall of Fame not just be all about off-road racing. That was his number one goal, is that the sport on dirt, You know, from rally to rock crawling, you know, everything be represented. And I, I just, you know, hope that as Ormhoff moves forward, that they can go back to the intention of Rod now that he's passed and make sure it's not, not just about off-road racing and not just filled with off-road racers. You know, the diversity is so important. And that is, was extremely, extremely important to him.
0: I and I agree. I mean, I know that in Southern California, Nevada, Arizona, that off-road racing, as we know it, um, in those in that area, is huge
1: mm-hmm. and has
0: a big following. But you know, you go outside of that area, and it diminishes quickly compared to a lot of other aspects of off-road. Oh, yeah. not putting off-road racing down because I absolutely enjoy it and love it and my times in Baja are some of the funnest times that I've had. but you know there is more to it. so it's mm-hmm. it's nice to see that you know we got Shannon Campbell in the off-road Hall of Fame now now Dean mm-hmm. Bullock mm-hmm. Um, who's started off with rock crawling and trials and snowmobile and everything else I mean he has quite a history with off-road which Mm -hmm. is really good to see the diversity that he has. But eventually we'll start getting more rock crawlers in there, Mm -hmm. you know, at least on the competitive side or the promoter side. And and there's a lot of guys out there that deserve to be in it for what they've done for the industry, not just the sport, but the industry.
1: Right. Right. So true. I think they're doing a good job with some of the special categories that they have that maybe you're not an inductee into the hall of fame, but there are these, you know, exciting categories and I think that that's been something that's been really positive.
0: Yeah, I think so too. It, it grabs more people to get involved and understand that this that this entity is out there. Yeah, and that's one of the things I think is is been been hard is to get the saturation outside of off road racing that there is you know an off road racing hall of fame. Yeah, yeah. So
1: I, you want to hear a kid's broad hall story? Yes, absolutely. I'll, I'll tell you one, uh, one that will always stick with me. So, when I drove in my first Baja 1000, um, I got in the car, and I got in the car down by Viscayano, and Rod was going to be my co-driver, sitting right seat. Talk about intimidating, (laughs) you know? Um, Reassuring at one moment that your coach is sitting right next to you, and nerve-wracking that it's Rod. Um, And... We get in the car, and he sits down. We go, you know, buckles in. He, we go. Our intercom isn't working, so I can't hear anything. Like, and you know, w- when Rod's in the car with you, you want to do what Rod wants you to do, and so I couldn't hear. We couldn't hear. And then finally, I'm like, okay, let's just re- let's just reset the radio. You know, what do you do? You panic that wow, we have no comms. And so we end up, you know, resetting, turning back on the radio, and we have calms. And the first thing out of my mouth, he goes, his mouth is, hmm, I don't think I've ever sat over here before. (laughs) (laughs) And it was was just incredible to have him sit there. But he was the kind of person who would evaluate, you know, every, every line, every line choice you took. You know, he was about throttle control, line choice, throttle control, line choice, and the way if you know if you didn't like your line choice, he'd just kind of reach over and just kind of punch you in the shoulder, you know, or say (laughs) why'd you do that? And then sometimes he'd say why you do why did you do that? And you'd tell him why, and then goes and then he'd say oh I'd do that too I was just I was just checking, Um, but it was it was funny it was it was really fun.
0: That's awesome. Yeah. So then. You did Red Bull events, you did Rod Hall events, you did your own events, and then where I got to meet you again, because I think I met you at Vora, you may have come out and raced at either Hawthorne or Fallon. There was two races that Rod brought the Hummers out to.
1: Yeah, actually, um, I, I know Well, I know one I did. Um, I actually was going to drive and I ended up... Not driving, I rode and helped Damian Michelin do his first race. Okay. And it was snowing. I remember that one. And that was, gosh, why am I going blank? It's a great place uh, down in. Yarrington. Um, Yarrington. Yes. The Yarrington. That's such a great race. Such a great race. It was, um, it was great terrain oh, out there. So, so great. I remember it snowed like six times on us. Um, <laughs> yeah, that was that was really cool. It was fun out there. You know, when I first started, I actually um, started events. My first client, for actually um, on my own as my own business, doing events was with Warren Moon. Oh, really? Uh, Yeah, um, the famous quarterback. Right. And with his group, and we did, you know, did quite um, a few every year um, uh, fundraising events with all the top NFL and NBA players, um, especially for like for 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 youth. And that was awesome. We did some really incredible events. Yeah, that that was a really good period of time. And then Kirsten, who you know, who works with me, who's worked with me now. Uh, Kirsten, I don't know if you're close by, but um, I think Kirsten's worked with me for maybe about 11 years. And we worked, um, she worked for Tony Hawk and the Tony Hawk Foundation. And oh, wow. we used to um, uh, work on their um, doing the press and like celebrity management and things like that for um, his fundraising events and we used to raise a ton of money for um, skate parks and underserved communities and uh, then Kirsten fortunately came to work you know with me and is still here and and done a great job on building the rebel with me so
0: just to let people know we are sitting in Emily's kitchen and it's the <laughs> day after the it's the second day after the end of the rebel. It's Monday. The rebel ends on Saturday with the gala. The event actually competition ends on Friday. And uh we're all still a little dust weary, desert weary. Um the heat was pretty incredible down there in Klamis, but any of the noises you hear or sounds, just bear with us. It's 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 a business here, so we're all uh we're all just unwinding, you might say. So, it's
1: very authentic. Yeah, very you authentic. Can hear the train you can hear the go train, by, the and...
0: motorcycles, cars. <laughs> yeah, it is. The only thing I haven't heard yet is birds, and I'm surprised because the uh,
1: well, you'll on see, that there area. are a couple of crows that sit right up on that power <laughs> line. You'll hear them, or actually, they'll probably try to get in the house and steal some food. So,
0: <laughs> so I met you again at Koh Dave Cole's event, uh, King of the Hammers, and I was working out on Chocolate Thunder. David asked me to run that section, high visibility, high exposure to with all the spectators there and everything. And the BLM dealing with the photographers and BLM and then everybody else that came along. And I remember you were bringing people out and introducing me to these people and then having me explain what was actually happening. And it was a lot of Dave's marketing partners. Mm -hmm. And then you brought Ricky Johnson out and you go, I would like you to meet rich Klein. This is, and Ricky goes big, rich, how's it going? And gives me a hug because we'd work together. Mm. And, uh, you looked at me and you went big, rich Klein, rich Klein from Vora. And I was like, yep. And, uh, so that was the, that was the re-meeting you might say of us. Yeah. And then, uh, we got hooked up again after that because Shelley looked at your av- pre-event advertising for the rebel. And she really was interested in the event. She looked at it and said, Oh, this is great, but I do a lot of off road, but I don't drive. And then she goes, I could probably learn to navigate, but you know she's she really isn't a very good navigator.
1: <laughs> Rich.
0: <laughs> no, I'm just saying she's she always misses the the exits and stuff and can't remember. I mean it's 51st dates with her.
1: Shelly, are you listening to this?
0: Shelly? Oh, I don't know where she's at. I, I think she she she's gone I downstairs. think she's asleep. She I think I see her feet.
1: I think she's sleeping.
0: Okay. Well, she uh she always says with her it's like having 50 first dates the movie cuz she she can't remember the road that we just drove on yesterday if we drive out on, on it again going the opposite direction so now she's sitting up and looking <laughs> uh, yeah yeah <laughs> but it's, I heard that. it's it's kind of true so then she looked at me and said "Well, you know Emily Miller, right?" And I said, "Yeah." She goes, "Well, I really want to do this event. Why don't you call her and see if she'll have us as volunteers?" And so I called you and you were like, yes, yes, yes. And so here we are five years later. And, uh, I want to talk about your time at KOH and then we'll go into the rebel.
1: Okay. Sounds good.
0: So how did you, how did you get started with Dave? And, uh, I know what you, what I think you brought to the table for him, but I want to hear it from you.
1: Okay. Um, I had come out to King of the Hammers, maybe like the second Hammers, where Rod Hall was the Grand Marshal. And so Rod had asked me to come down with them. I remember going, and I could not believe what I saw. The racing action. I remember being up in this one spot, standing on a rock, couldn't believe how close I could get to the car <laughs> back then. And I saw this car, like, drive off a cliff. And then I saw, like, Brad Lovell which I didn't realize it was Brad, uh, you know, basically roll his car over and then drive it upright and drive off. And I thought, this is the best racing action I have ever seen. And I've seen, you know, a lot of stuff in my life. And I just remember being extremely impressed because that's what the world wants to see. The world wants to see that kind of action and they, but they don't want to see people get hurt. So where do you get that? You definitely get that at King of the Hammers. Right. And I had been on a BFG. I had been a brand ambassador for BFG back in the day as a driver. And um, Jeff Cummings had taken myself and and Brad Lovell to um, Laguna Seca for the three-day program. And at the end, Brad said, look, you really need to meet Dave Cole. You know, King of the Hammers is this amazing thing, and it can go either way. It could go big or, you know, it, it, it could go away. He goes, I, I don't know. He goes, but I think it's at a crux moment. And so he said, Can I connect you with Dave? And I agreed to it, and Dave called, and I, I think I, I pulled a Dave Cole, which is sort of like saying, mm, Yeah, maybe. Uh, yeah, I don't know if I'm interested. And which makes people want it more. Um, and, you know, we stayed in touch. And I think because I'd already seen it and because the racing action was so great, I said yes, that I would get involved. And I have been very, very careful not to get involved in working in off-road racing and in off-road. I, I love it. I love to drive. I love the events. You know, Rod and I produced quite a, quite a few events together and events for General Motors and off-road events that we had created ourselves and done for dealers, et cetera. Um, But I was very, very careful not to get involved just being, you know, doing the work. And because I really wanted to keep my passion for it, you know, I, I don't think I wanted to get burned out in it. And I said yes. And one of the first things um, that we did is kind of break it down and look at the event and I brought in like the jumbotron. you know I was able to kind of leverage my relationships of all the the things that not all the things but you know the things that I'd done with Red Bull um, with and say hey, can you help us with this over here on this growing event and you know people that I trusted and brought in you know some pieces that I think were really helpful which the goal was to keep people, in, in Hammertown too, and not necessarily all at the rock venues, you know, not everybody can get out there, you know, as many people as want to be there, you can't really get in there and see it and see it safely. And Dave was very, very committed to live webcasting it. you know, wanting to grow that and, you know, wanting to, you know, having a lot of pressure to do television, but we didn't have the budgets for television. So I really worked on a lot of pieces at first, And to help kind of lay a really good foundation. And then I also wanted to make sure that we got media. Um, We needed the world to know, you know, we set a goal and we set a goal for the reach, which we wanted to be global, not, you know, not just in a corner of the country. And we set out real goals um, to meet or real action items to meet the goals. And stayed on task, and focused, and committed, and it was. Re- it's been really fun ride, and it's been really rewarding to see it grow. And now I manage more the the media, um, uh, third party press, the social on site at the event. But yeah, I mean, we really rolled up our sleeves in those earlier days. Absolutely. Yeah.
0: And I think that you brought what you brought to the table for him really helped with the expansion. You know, you get those people in in Europe and everywhere else involved and, uh, you know, because of of that media. Mm -hmm. So congratulations on that.
1: Thank you. What's your take on it? (laughs) I would love to hear what your take is.
0: On the whole sport?
1: (laughs) No, just on, you know, I I think I just have seen it, you know, like just kind of dug down in it and— I don't know. Well, you know, the first, you're saying you 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 were going to give your feedback on what you think my contribution was.
0: <laughs> well, I I think that that you bringing in the media and the big screen TV and taking it internationally was phenomenal. I yeah. mean, it, it was it definitely it takes all the aspects of off-road and puts them into one thing. It takes the rock crawling um, not quite as technical because it's it is about time and and distance. Mm-hmm. Um, but it It incorporates, you know, the Baja style off-road racing with the rocks, which gives people places to watch. You know, one of the things that I've always found difficult with off-road racing is that especially if like in Baja or any of the ones in the United States really is that you see the car go by once. And mm-hmm. you know, hopefully you have 400 cars at entry, so you get to see 400 people go by. <laughs> yeah, you know, otherwise, so true. otherwise it's much more fun being part of a team, like in Baja, where you mm-hmm. may only see your car once, or if you're chasing, like what I've had to do with the teams that I've helped, which were always the smaller teams, is that we'd see them at every pit stop. So you had your own race, okay, mm-hmm. and that's more comes into what what you're doing now in the Rebel and why I like it because it's the same. It's kind of the same thing with what we're doing, with helping on the rebel. Mm-hmm. But the what King of the Hammers brings is that combination of of the racing and a place for people to actually watch for more than just five seconds as the truck goes by it, you know, hundred miles an hour or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it those rock trails are where the people congregate if they can. You know, you won't mm-hmm. see. 300 people standing out in the desert in a high speed section.
1: Right, you know, right. People
0: don't mind seeing it on, on film where, where it goes by in a hurry, but it's that it's more intimate when it's going slower. Yeah. And I think people enjoy that. Plus, it's, it's absolutely just, you know, rock sports is just badass. You yeah. know, to be able to take a machine and, and just thrash it to get to do something that a machine really wasn't intended to do i mean and what i mean intended to do is when the people when designers of automobiles first put these things together you know they were just looking at transportation from town to town to town to town and then across the country um you know there was no pavement so yes you know they they had to figure out how to make them work in in muddy conditions and everything else but they never saw what we were going to do to them yeah and You know, now it's, it's a whole industry on, on building specific vehicles to do specific things. And you're seeing that more in the auto industry and manufacturer wise as, as well, you know, with, with the new vehicles that are coming out and, and some that we're seeing on the Rebel. and, and a lot of that, you know, we, I'd like to think was developed or thought about developing because of what we have done in, off road and rock sports. Oh yeah, Mark Motorsports.
1: You know, I the one thing I I want to say that has made a, a huge impact on me is that I really think that the drivers, especially that come from rock sports and the Ultra Four racers, are the best drivers. I mean, when I look at the total package, and when I because the discipline that they have to be able to go as fast as they can go to as slow as they can go in a short period of time, you know, right up against each other and to have that discipline and self-control and focus to do exactly what they need to do at the exact moment in the widest extremes. And that is, to me, is pretty mind-blowing. And I just have so much respect for all those drivers. And then the co-drivers, you know, they're, capabilities, um, out on co- the course, what they go through, you know, nobody has a perfect race. No, you know, they're not winning cause they had a perfect race. It's the other thing that I love is that the drivers are so tough. They build the car, they fix the car, they run down canyons, you know, carrying parts back to their cars. They're not being, Picked up and dropped off, you know, by their helicopter. Oh, you know, Robbie did hey. once. Well, that's true. <laughs> that is he true. left
0: Lance out in the desert. <laughs> yes,
1: that is true. Uh, but you know, it's and and you know, hey, nothing wrong with that, you know, no, in, know, in those in in those genres you know, where where that does happen, but just so much respect for how hard all those people work. And you know, people say, "Oh, well, do you race King of the Hammers?" I say, "No, are you kidding me? I am not tough enough or smart enough to race um, to race that race." It's just it's just mad mad respect for everyone.
0: I'm I'm enjoying the fact now over the last couple of years of getting some of those top off road racers mm-hmm. to come out and experience King of the Hammers. When mm-hmm. Dave was able to get him into cars, the spec cars, and now guys are starting to drive for others that have built the cars, um, and they're, but they're taking it seriously. I think the first couple of years, they really, they really just thought they could win it in the desert and the rocks were just, you know, whatever, mm-hmm. you know, just going up against a bunch of rock donkeys and they found that, you know, the rock donkeys, you know, you have to learn to drive in the rocks to win KOH, mm-hmm. you know, the mm-hmm. desert, the desert takes care of itself, but you, you know, you, If you can learn to drive in the rocks, you can learn to drive in the desert, you know. And and one of the things that Rod always professed was, you know, taking that stock vehicle and finishing a race. Well, taking any vehicle and being able to finish that race. Now you have this little gem of an event that you're doing. I know that you have done, before you got, became the promoter or the, or designed the Rebel, you raced, other rallies let's talk about those and how those led into the rebel
1: yeah you know um well what i would say is the rebel is kind of a combination of everything i've done and the things that i like the things that I kind of wanted to build the rally that I would want to do. I think Chrissy feels the same way. You know, she feels like the rebel is the rally she would want to do. I mean, sure, we'd love to add speed to it. Um, but we wouldn't be able to do that in the U.S. Right. You know, uh, the the amount of money, risk, headache, liability, adding in, you know, all-out speed for that long of a distance, you know, we couldn't do. So, yeah, I've had some pretty cool experiences. and. Uh, one of them was in the rally in Morocco, you know, that I did for, gosh, um, you know, I was over there for seven or eight years, you know, competing and then also taking and prepping, you know, American teams to go over really cool experience. I, you know, I love to travel and Rod always told me, you know, I'd always had those Rod stories, you know, about him doing all these different rallies in different locations. And that gave me that bug. And he said, the best way to travel the world is to see it from the windshield. And you'll go to places and villages and see things that you wouldn't other normally otherwise see, you know, so I love Morocco. You know, I went to Australia, you know, I've been, um, one, actually one of my favorite, um, races was when the, uh, Vegas Reno was the Nevada 1000, the three day, race and they called right. it a rally, but it was, it was three days and I drove that one. I was the on, only driver on that race. So it was a really good endurance push. And, um, Sam Cawthorne was my, um, navigator. he's awesome. And, you know, we, we won that in that class and, you know, race and stock many, but what I would say, and then actually I just went last uh, April and raised uh, competed in the Carta rally in Africa. Um, that was a seven day endurance rally and it was GPS though. Um, and it was really fun. Uh, it was hard and challenging, super challenging.
0: That's when you did with Lily.
1: Yeah. I took okay. Lily, um, who works with us on the rebel, um, really neat young woman who has a four year degree in high performance motorsports, and she wants to get more international experience. And I, She's worked super hard for us. And so we trained and prepared and and actually won our class over there. So that was really cool. Um, But I feel like the different experiences I've had has, um, uh, and and even some of the different events I've produced, you know, not competed in, you know, have really impacted what I've done. I even, you know, I can even say, you know, Raid Amazon is a great um, inspiration to me. It's a six-day adventure race I did five years ago but it, nothing motorized, you know, all, you know, um, and actually competed with, as the teammate with my friend that I used to have competed against in, in driving. And she's a great friend, Cindy Wade from Senegal. Um, done the Dakar multiple times and yeah, I would say that all those different experiences, I went, okay, if I were going to do an event, how would I want, you know, what kind of team would I want to build? If, you know, what kind of Base camps would I want? What kind of finish would I, you know, all these different pieces. And some of it's evolved since we started. Some of it I've realized, you know, I like this. I don't like that. Um, We get work to get a lot of feedback from those around us. I love the rally in Morocco, but I wanted, but it was just shortest distance, which actually means if you want to win it, you literally drive straight over everything in your way. And to me, that's not fun. That it's not even how I I drive, especially if you want to be smooth. If you want to be smooth, you want to be quicker. You want to take care of the environment, the vegetation, all those things. And you want to drive faster than a snail's pace, you know. And I also wanted, you know, I wanted a rally that would build great experience in the navigators to make them top navigators And I wanted it to be fun to drive. And that's what I believe the rebel has become. In fact, I just, I got off the phone with Emmy Hall, who drove the Rivian RT1 in the rally. She's done it every year. She's won it twice. And she said to me that, she goes, this year it was so hard. She goes, but the driving was so fun. And I went, yes, I like that.
0: I heard the hard thing from a lot of the girls. In fact, every one of the, Every one of the ladies that I talked to, um, Friday or Saturday, all said how hard it was. From my position being a course worker, I didn't I didn't get I didn't see the hardness in the driving, but I saw the hardness in watching the tracking to where the ladies had to drive to. And as a course worker, and then somebody that runs sweep, I don't have to drive everything. I just have to drive the cleanest line to, uh, to the main checkpoints Mm -hmm. to make sure everybody makes it back to camp. So Mm -hmm. it's, uh, I don't have to do all the, and finding the checkpoints, you know, I I get to look, it's easy (laughs) (laughs) because I have GPS (laughs) and I get to see where all the, all the ladies went and then figure out that's probably not the way to go. So, (laughs) um, you know, I, am I like, I think Shelly and I like the event because of the way, the way it opens up individuals that have never have never competed, maybe they've they've competed in their life in in other sports and other aspects, but in a driving motorized event, it allows them to to do it on their own. There's been some instances during the event where i saw saw real growth and pride come out in some of these women a day after where they were just crushed. You know, they they had gotten missed checkpoints and timing-wise and all that kind of stuff, and they were crushed. And that's one of the things that happens at, che- at those mandatory checkpoints is if they don't get there in time, you know, you can see that it's a crushing blow to them. But then you see them have a win the next day that just changes all that. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's exciting to watch, you know, I mean – Especially right there. I mean, I, you would never get that from from watching the tracking. You might get it from the stories that come out afterwards. But being involved with the event, you get to see that emotion and the emotion emotional ranges in the competitors and in the staff. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, is uh, is quite phenomenal. You know, yeah. and and our events, I don't we don't get that because it's not everybody's got support. Yeah. You know, these, these ladies are going out there with, you know, with background support, but they're you know, this is an event where, you know, there's that support is in the background, you know, with the, with the, with the staff being there and making sure, I mean, you know, you've got the medical there, um, you know, you have recovery when it's needed or anywhere on site where, where it needs to happen. And, uh, you know, it's, it's quite phenomenal what you've put together, but instead of me talking about it, I want to hear it from you. So tell me about the rebel for people that don't have any clue what we're talking about.
1: Well, I, I think I'll start with just addressing what you were saying, talking about it being hard. Well, first of all, you know, and not having support, we give them a lot of support, but they have to set up their tents, break down their tents, pack their car, break down their car um, wrench on their car, change their tires, do everything. They don't have a team. Like, like, let's say you go out to a a standard competition. You have a whole team around you. Some people just have smaller teams than others. Some people, you know, some drivers don't do anything but drive, you know, they're bad. They don't worry about their bags. They don't worry about eating, you know, like they just drive. This is, you do everything and it's exhausting it's fatiguing. It is, I wake them up with a cowbell at 5am every morning, but usually they're already, already awake. They go to bed, you know, they come across the finish line, you know, anywhere between six and eight o'clock at night, set up, sleep a little bit, get up and do it all over again. Day after day after day for eight days. And that's hard. And it is a challenge and they get um, they go through the range of emotions for sure. And, you know, I always say ride the middle, you know, that's the one thing I've learned in life, you know, try to ride the middle. And I mean, I can get up and down, but I try to be as even keel as I possibly can. And usually I'll catch myself going, mm, you know, don't need to stress about that. One thing I can say is that I think this year was, it was really hard on the competitors because we made it harder, the challenge harder. We also decreased some of the radius because people before they could just drive. Our maps are so good. They could just drive right into that bullseye, click their tracker because the radius was so big. They could do that and do that quickly. Now we squeeze down the radius and now they have to, you know, take some time, you know, to to make sure they're nailing those black checkpoints. Um, You know, the checkpoints are rated green, blue and black like a ski run. And, you know, it was really interesting. We also gave them X checkpoints. So they had to make a decision between a regular checkpoint and an X checkpoint, usually multiple times a day. And just adding in that decision-making time, it may not be a race for speed, but you are competing against daylight and your closing times of your checkpoints. So you're forced to make decisions quickly. And that's really tough. You know, when two people are weighing in to make a decision you know, and you've got to make that decision quickly, that makes it harder. So I think that that's really was what made it harder this year. And so people were bleeding time. And you, you know, a wise person once told me, you only lose time. You don't make time and you don't get time back. You, you only lose time. For those who aren't familiar with the rebel, it is a 10-day Event. It is an eight-day rally of seven days are scored, and then there's one day of prologue, which is basically like a great practice day. The past five years, we've started in Lake Tahoe, and we finish um, near the Mexico border in Glamis, the Imperial Sand Dunes. The rally travels through California and Nevada. Um, We go through just super iconic terrain. Um, the course really changes up each year, even though we can return to places, the course will either feel different, come, come in at a different angle or be, you know, a few valleys over, you know, sometimes 60 miles away, but it's all in that, you know, California, um, Nevada, you know, corridor. We are looking though at adding in Arizona. And that's the first time I've actually said that publicly. Don't I? I can't tell you when it's going to be, but I can tell you that there is some incredible training in Arizona. It is max limit of fifty teams. It is a team of a driver, a navigator, and a vehicle. It is designed for stock vehicles. And when I mean stock, you know, it would be um, if you looked at you know a stock class. There are only so many vehicle modifications you can make you know, your suspension is limited, your wheels, uh, your tire size is limited to a 35 inch tire. It's designed for the vehicles we drive. You know, it is designed for, you know, Jeep, Land Rovers, Toyotas, you know, uh, Ram trucks, Nissan trucks and SUVs, you know, vehicles like that. There are two classes. I was very intentional. And actually this came from rod you know rod and i talked about this a lot we wanted an event where stock manufacturer vehicles could shine this is not a a competition for race cars and i think that's really important too because a lot of people want to have that feeling of racing or competing in a car but they don't necessarily have the budget or the bandwidth to to own a race car or a race truck it's just expensive. It's tough. It sounds great. But in, you know, when you actually break it down and line item out the budget and everything and, and what it takes and the manpower and the man hours, um, it's not for everyone. And I wanted something that would be attainable for everyone. And so the two classes are four by four and X cross. And four by four means there is a two speed transfer case. So you have low range gears. And then the X cross class, which would be defined as two wheel drive, um, all wheel drive crossover type vehicles, that would range everything from you know a Subaru to um, you know some of the examples um, this year as we had the Ford Bronco Sport, um, we've had um, Nissan's, we've even the or, uh, actually excuse me, Honda's the Honda Ridgeline. Um, the Honda Ridgeline is a little pickup. Uh, pickup truck but it has lower ground clearances and it does not have a two-speed transfer case so um drives a lot like a car actually we've had a porsche porsche cayenne we've had jaguar ipace we even had a rolls royce um and actually little did anybody know that the rolls royce Cullinan has off-road mode and it has tank mode um tank, tank mode. mode yes look it up it's pretty cool that's a really interesting class because it's a great way to prove that crossover type vehicle. So yeah, it has two classes, and then we have what we call designations. Designations are just a little bit of a bragging rights situation. We have forty thirty, which is a vintage class, uh, vehicles that are older than forty years old. We have um the international cup for competitors who are teams from out of the country cuz it's just harder and more more expensive you know to to come to the US and compete and then we have the bone stock and i love bone stock because rod hall the first time he had me drive and pre-run a race it was vegas to reno and he had a an h3 that was borrowed from the gm proving grounds it was as bone stock, and Hummer H3 as you could get, and that was what we were going to pre-run in, and he said, you have to return it without a scratch on it. It's pretty funny. <laughs> uh, but he said the mark of a great driver is someone who can pilot a completely bone stock vehicle successfully to the limit of what that vehicle can do without hurting it. And that will always be my standard and the Rebel's standard as the mark of a great driver, and so bone stock means the only modifications you can do to that vehicle is um, our wheel and ti- wheels and tires. You know you can't do other modifications. You can put a skid plate basically under the fuel tank for protection, but you can't have skid plates up front that are considered perf- like more performance type. Right. You know skid plates so you can just go head into stuff. You know, a little hot and not have consequences.
0: We won't name any names.
1: No, nope. um, I can think of a, quite a few right out of the gate. So that's just a badge of honor. It's not a class. You, you, you know, you don't finish second in Bone Stock or third in Bone Stock. There's one winner of Bone Stock, and that's the highest scoring vehicle in the Rebel Rally that is Bone Stock. We have had Bone Stock vehicles win overall at the Rebel Rally. That's good news to me. We had actually a bone stock Jeep Willys win bone stock this year, and they got third overall in the rally. That um, award goes to the driver of the vehicle, and it also goes to the manufacturer. Um, this year, it, it was Jeep. I think uh, uh, Jeep won it this year. Lexus won it last year. Jeep won the year before, and we've had um, Ram, uh, Ram has also won bone stock. Excellent. Oh, and we have Electrified.
0: Yes, Electrified. Can't forget that. No. Every time Emmy came into my checkpoint, I'd rev my Raptor up. I'd turn it up. Even if I didn't have it on, I'd turn it on and rev it up. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that is wanted, great.
0: Then she wanted to drag race.
1: <laughs> you don't want to drag race that car. No,
0: I know. And then I said, in the whoops. And she goes, okay, well, we got to drag race on the flat. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that what that car can do if you just put your foot to the floor is jaw dropping.
0: That's yeah. what I understand. I did not get a chance to ride in it, but uh, I hope to eventually ride in one. So yeah, I'll, cool. I'll get a chance to experience it. So with the Rebel, um, where do you besides Arizona? <laughs> where do you where do you foresee it going? Um, is there anything? different that you might want to do. I don't know. I don't know what it would be. I mean I every year that we do this we we try to give you some recommendations from our point of view, but we did we did that with with King of the Hammers and we do it with everybody that we we work with. Um, We even did it with a flight with a a stole event we were in or helped with and uh short takeoff and landing events for airplanes just because you know we are event promoters and we've been doing it a lot of different things but i don't know i don't know how you do anything differently do you do you have something else that you're going to throw in there to to wrench with the girls yes can you talk about it? oh yeah okay cool
1: i can't talk about it
0: you can't talk about it oh no but you're it's killing me
1: but it's big awesome and it's exciting i might be able to tell you
0: Okay, and but showing. not on not on not on the air. All right,
1: <laughs> oh, I would love to. Um, you know, it, these it's tough though. You know, um, we've been very uh, methodical. We have not. We have tried to stay true to our core values. We've been our our number one core value is that we provide a fair, transparent competition, and we have opportunities and a. Um, system in place from our inquiries to protests, et cetera. We, we, to, to make it transparent. I've been a competitor. I have felt it when things have not been transparent. In other competitions. Chrissy has, Jimmy Lewis has, Chris Wu has. It, that is our number one most important thing is the integrity of the competition. You know, I don't think people even have any idea how much we labor over that and lose sleep over that and program it. And we have, you know, our, from our scoring systems to the automation of our scoring systems to, you know, which are elaborate and extensive, shockingly extensive. It's about protecting the brand of Rebel and about protecting the integrity of it. And so we move slowly and we haven't we we believe in there's something you know in in business and in work and endurance called the 20 mile march that you march along 20 miles a day every day you don't go 50 miles when it's good weather you know you don't stop when it's raining you march along 20 miles a day you know you fire bullets you know before you fire cannonballs and those are some like lessons that you know, are pretty well documented in, in, in data and in history and success. And that's what we do. You know, a lot of, and we also.
0: Controlled and managed, managed growth.
1: Yeah, it really is. And I felt strongly about that. And I believe it has served us well. The one thing I can say, and, I, you know, for any of the staff who's listening right now, we had a, a fantastic rally this year. With COVID, it was extremely hard. Extremely hard. And especially since we're such a long multi-day event, we go into so many counties and so many jurisdictions and land management jurisdictions. I had to get approvals from everyone at a time where people didn't know, you know, what was happening. So this year was about survival. Yes. It really was. And, and you know, it was hard. I'm sure some people thought we were being completely over the top ridiculous, like with some of the things that we are trying to implement. But what I found, and I think what we found on site is it really wasn't that hard to implement on site. It just turned, I I have my voice today because I actually wore a face mask in the dust. I realize how beat up I am when I come back from being sunburned, breathing the dust, being in the dirt. I feel great. You know, I feel like some of the things that we made changes in, in protocols, like with, you know, our base camps, the sizes of our base camps, all those things, I think they worked really well. You know, we had more hand-washing stations, and, you know, it was cleaner. You know, I don't think anybody minded any of that. No. Um, it was really good, and, and everybody was really compliant. And, um, and it was nice to come in having been tested. You know, like, we knew we'd been tested. People were being careful. You know, there's always the outside chance. Um, but I think that was really good. So this year was about surviving, and we had done a lot of pre-preparation that I think helped with staff and I can say that while it was hard for the competitors, I think our staff had the best rally that we have had in five years.
0: I think, I think it was, I think the rally itself was really good. I think that, uh, that the way you, your protocols for COVID were completely understandable in the situation that's, that's as far as I'll go with that. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm never going to do anything to, uh, to jeopardize somebody else's event, mm-hmm. whether I like something or not. You know, I'm, mm-hmm. I can't say that I'm all gung ho about wearing a mask all the time, but I did what I had to do. And I'm sure there was a lot of others that, that felt the same way, especially on the staff side. The, the thing that I felt this year that, that, that was missing for staff is that we always try to sit At a different table every night at dinner, Mm -hmm. so that Mm -hmm. we can get to know teams that we haven't met. Mm -hmm. Um, I felt that I didn't get a chance to meet new teams, oh yeah, like I would have otherwise. And that was that was the only diminishing point in the whole event process for me. Yeah, was was that lack of, and even with some of the staff, you know, because there was, it was, you know, there was that expected you know, social distancing and with the masks on and it just, it created a different, a lot different atmosphere. So I'm hoping that going forward that things lighten up a bit to where medically we can, that it's acceptable to, you know, to ditch the masks and, you know, whatever has to happen happens. But that's the only thing that I personally you know, and it's not something that that could have been dealt with any other way. Mm-hmm. So you know, it, it was just the end result. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's inter- it
1: interesting that you said that because I actually had staff that felt like they were tighter as a staff than we've ever been. I had a lot of that feedback. Tighter, yeah, closer. Yeah, a lot of staff said that they, you know, everybody worked together better. I think everybody who was there wanted to be there. We didn't have anybody who didn't want to be there, and. Nobody got sick with colds, you know, we didn't sure. get cold. Like, cause a lot of times we're up in each other's face so much. We didn't get colds. We didn't have anybody. We had somebody go out sick with, you know, something that was completely unrelated to anything respiratory, you know, you know, everybody worked together super well. Um, you know, we were still going in RVs and sitting down, you know, and having to go through stuff. So pods were pretty, you know, tight with, you know, but to know that BLM and national parks came out, And said, thank you because the the event the week before you jeopardized you even being here. Every single base camp, they came and took pictures and reported back to the state every single, every single base camp, every single day. And then we got a report sent. So, um, the fact that people were complying, um, but still having fun, you know, like I had, I had fun and, and I felt that that was a small price to pay to exist.
0: Oh, I agree. I agree. And that's in this time, it was, it was, it was absolutely necessary. Mm -hmm. And I don't want to get on a political tangent on where it's going or what's going to happen because we don't really know. Mm -mm. But the, to me, there was just a feeling, a little separation and not so much, I guess, in the staff, except there were some new people that were, that I didn't get a chance to sit and talk to that maybe I would have if, you know, base operations is always so, so busy anyway mm-hmm. that, uh, you know, there was, like I said, there was some new people or even people that I hadn't, that I had connected with in prior years that I didn't connect with so much this year. Oh, yeah. And I don't know if it was just because they were busier or, or I felt like I needed to distance while they were, mm-hmm. you know, I don't know. It was just a little It was
1: different. funny. I didn't feel like I had to distance at all. All I did was take a step back. All I would do is like when I'd get around people, all I would do is just take take one step back. And that was kind of my barometer. I'd like be like, oh, okay. You know, I'm like standing right next to the person. I'm just going to take one step back, but I'm still going to hang out, talk to them and everything. Right. But I think everybody's just trying to braille their way through it. You know?
0: Yeah. I was more cautious, especially around the teams. Oh, yeah. Because especially the new ones, the, the, the teams that I already knew, Yeah, if they wanted to come up and talk and and you know, converse and that kind of stuff, then I was open, Mm -hmm. but I wasn't, we didn't reach out like we, we did in other years where we'd sit down and say, Hey, tell us your story. Where are you from? What do you, you know? Yeah. And, and, and I missed that. Yeah. Unfortunately, I'm a, I guess I'm a social butterfly or moth, you know, (laughs) not not a (laughs) butterfly.
1: (laughs) That's not true. You're a butterfly.
0: (laughs) No, nobody would believe that anyway.
1: But I know what you mean. Yeah. But I'm just so like, the great thing is, is to know that even when times are tough, we can have a rally. Yes. You know, and still have a great, a great rally. When
0: when all this started off and everybody was canceling events and stuff, I, you know, I knew that, that everybody told you, you couldn't do this to begin with five years ago or six years ago when it, when it came up or even seven years ago, when you got the, this harebrained idea of doing this, that. You know, you heard a lot of it, people saying you weren't going to be able to do it because you're going to have to work with all these jurisdictions, you know, on road, off road, all these different counties, all these different personalities and everything you had to deal with. And then now you throw in COVID, which has everybody freaked out because nobody knows anything. Even Mm -hmm. the experts don't seem to know anything Mm -hmm. because they all change their mind every week. And now, you know, you pulled it off. So kudos.
1: Thank I mean, you. really. Um, A lot of sleepless nights.
0: Yeah, I would imagine. Because in March, April, when we were locked down in Texas for, it seemed like, six months. Wasn't, but it seemed like it, it was, you know, we were wondering, you know, I guess we'll, we knew SEMA would eventually cancel. We knew Off-Road Expo. Mm-hmm. We knew all that stuff was going to happen. And we we thought, you know, I don't know if she'll be able to get the permits. Yeah. You know, and I know it came down to the wire down in with Imperial County. Yeah. And uh, just wholeheartedly, absolutely amazed that that you pulled it off again.
1: Well, thank you. So
0: I don't know yeah, what's well, ever gonna stop you except for it, you.
1: <laughs> <laughs> no, the, yeah. <laughs> Interesting you say that. You know, I, I think what was really cool though is that I feel like um, we have a diverse staff and a group of people, um, which is really good. And you know, one of the first things we said, you know, is like, let's all put away our cell phones, put away our political differences, put away our b- beliefs about COVID, and because we want to, we th- we're doing this to get away from that, and everybody did, you know. And I thought it was really cool that. Yeah, there are a lot of people that don't want to wear a face mask. I mean, let me tell you, I I I didn't love wearing a face mask, but I now realize like I would probably look twenty years younger if I started wearing a face mask a long time ago. But um, uh, what what I and I do mean that. But I feel like everybody respected each other and the rally so much that they were willing to do it. And after a while, it wasn't really that big a deal. Like walk in, pull that up, just whatever.
0: (laughs) I I can tell you that up until the rally, even when I was visiting my parents the week two weeks before and we were in Northern California, I'd put a mask on and it would cover my chin because they said a face covering. So Mm -hmm. I was wearing it, but I wasn't wearing it. Since, you know, I've been out two days now, did some maintenance on the truck today, went to have an oil change done, went, did some shopping and I'm wearing the face mask still. So I guess I've gotten to the point where, okay, I know I can wear it even though I'm kind of claustrophobic with it. And I think I'm going to die because I'm wearing it and I can't breathe. Um, but you know, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm
1: this too shall pass. I'm
0: doing it. Yeah.
1: Yeah. It, it will pass.
0: I know a bunch of my friends will be out there going, "I can't believe you bought into that crap well, but, and it's not, yeah, and
1: at this point it's not even buying in it's no. um i did you hear um sand uh, San sports expo got? And,
0: yeah they they got they, they got they, shut down shut down
1: because people weren't complying, and so the sad thing is is you know there are people and i have you know I know people like this I have friends like people like this like you know you sh- we shouldn't buy into it, et cetera, but the fact is is that person that poor promoter yeah. just lost because people just didn't feel like complying with something that's pretty a pretty simple ask right now put it on and if it's required and you don't want to go and do it then just don't go and do it but don't do something that literally can is terrible for the industry for the vendors who spent the money to get there Yes, And for that promoter and like there are so many people that are so negatively impacted by people being selfish enough to not just say, hey, I'm going to go in here for two hours, wear a face mask, be respectful, see what news happening and just look to the future that it's not always going to be this way. Right. But I, I feel I'm really sad for everybody who worked hard to get there, seeing a light at the end of the tunnel. And the tunnel wasn't that hard to get through, right? You know, it's a tough I, deal. I was
0: amazed that we were able to pull off most of our season, yeah. and that my son was able to do his event. And now they've just shut down three counties in Utah, and it was the one where Trail Hero was at. It was the one where our Nationals was at, and then another, another Garfield County. Mm. It's interesting that you know those those counties were wide open, and they mm-hmm. allowed all these big events to go on. And now and I don't think it was that we were, you know, the cause of those those things, because the people that were that got sick were not involved with our event or, mm-hmm. you know, came out to our event or were probably even anything to do with it or even knew we were there. But still, you know, those things happened. Mm-hmm. And now what it would have done to our business, to my son's one time a year event, you know, there's all the same things happen. This thing goes so much deeper than than just wearing a mask and just you know trying not to get people sick, but through the economy and all the businesses that have shut down yeah. and people that have committed suicide from having their businesses shut down and lost all the oh, yeah lost everything
1: yeah but. the the thing that I feel that is is a little encouraging is that like we now have an understanding enough that says try to be outdoors as much as you can wear a mask take a step back we can do that. We can, you know, keep moving, you know, and, it, and people want to keep moving and it's critical that we keep moving. Um, it was so hard to see what went on at the start. And, it, and I just hope that our leadership, you know, has learned from it. So when we go through this again, because this is not the last respiratory infection that passes easily or, you know, a pan, this is not our, it's not our first pandemic and it's not our last pandemic. And, you know, um, I, I just hope that there, you know, I feel like now like, okay, well we have a personal plan. This is what's been recommended. This is how we can keep moving where we live in San Diego County. You know, things are moving along now, you know, Um, We're fortunate that our numbers are down, you know, testing is up, numbers are down. Um, But I can't imagine, I, you know, I can't imagine places that that are in cold climates. We're so fortunate because we have a warm climate here. It's Um, harder to spread. Yeah, yeah. But it's going to be, I really am, you know, just sending a lot of, you know, anybody listening, just know that I'm really thinking about everybody because I know what it's like and um, to be in those shoes of, we had time on our side, fortunately, but there was when we went into the rally. I was thinking, if we had been two weeks later, like the numbers started going up, right as we were heading out on the rally, thinking, "Wow, it's it just opened up. Nevada just opened up, going from fifty group gatherings of fifty to you know to two fifty, which you know, and then a thousand in big venues." And we classified as a sporting event with no spectators. So it was a little different. You know, we were just right in that sweet spot. I don't control time. (laughs) That is for sure. So, um, but I do believe that the rally was a bright spot in a dark, in a tough year. You know, I've I've had a, I read some notes today from some of the competitors who've sent in text messages and emails just saying, thank you so much for pulling this off. It's, it's what I needed right at the right moment because I needed my head to see clearly, you know, it's hard to know what's going on when you're told to stay home and watch the news. Yeah. And but, none of
0: the news is, that's yeah, another, that's another story. Get, that's get another story. Yeah. But
1: but, but th- I just want to say thank you. I mean, um, you and Shelley have been like, 100% committed since this started. And honestly, like, I know that even though the teams couldn't, you know, it wasn't necessarily the same, like, sit down, have long chat, the fact that you were always there, you know, sweeping and being like a happy, you know, group of people at a checkpoint made the difference. And these, and people were on edge, you know, they came into it. It's been an angsty, edgy year. You know, and just seeing these people that have their back and, you know, smiling and and, and for us, it's having people who are capable. Like our course official team is so good.
0: Well, you've surrounded yourself the crew that you've put together are not just problem identifiers. Because <laughs> yes. anybody can be a problem identifier. It's being able to be a problem solver and being able to pivot, do whatever you need to do to in that situation, without really without looking for for insight from somebody else, just figuring out what has to be done that particular moment. You know, oh, there's yeah. a lot of that on the on the rally, at least from the course side. Yeah. and you know, it it hasn't always been that way. I mean, you know, we've gone through some some staff. Um, all of them had strengths.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: You know, there some of them just weren't maybe. Problem solvers. You know? Yeah. And,
1: or weren't, you know, not everybody is meant to sleep in the dirt for 10 days and solve problems every few minutes. Yes. You know, like we always say, you know, on the rally, like I need great, not good. And, but I also need great and the right temperament for the rally, the right personality for the rally. And, you know, that's, really important as we all know. <laughs> yes. Um I, you know we had uh, over 85 staff there this year.
0: More than competitors.
1: Mm-hmm. And that was the most we had and COVID, you know, some of the COVID things required us to have more people. Also we just need more people. Um because it's so hard and we need the right people and it's really um that staff is incredible. I th- I think the other thing that I like is Um, I said it in the final awards that I have a really, really good team and everybody is opinionated and stubborn in a, you know, in a really good way. Um, and I'll preface that, that they're stubborn because they have a lot of experience and they have a lot of insight. And when things are not being efficient or things aren't right, they dig their heels in, in a way that's important so that I take notice, I fix, you know, I fix it for them or I fix it for whether it's a a lead or et cetera. And so I think it's been really an evolution of our staff. And that's what I really love this year, um, in every single area. And you guys are out on course all day, but I get to see like base camp ops, media, safety, uh, scoring all, all those pieces um, you know, our course and competition, all, all that come together. And every single person like was so on point. And I think that that's um, been probably my favorite thing is everybody's really pushed me and I didn't want a whole bunch of yes people. And I believe, you know what, that's a compliment I want to pay um, to Dave Cole too, with King of the Hammers. I've always been treated with respect and that that I'm part of um I can be part of a solution um and that I'm listened to which is really cool because he's got a really tough job out there. You know, that's a big group. The the rebels small, although we have a big we have a big staff. <laughs> but yeah, I, I believe that like yourself and Jimmy Lewis, Chrissy Beavis, Chris Wu, you know, Kirsten Tigen, all all these people um hold me to task and it's made me a better leader and it's made our event better because it's not just my vision. It's combining the feedback and some of the vision and experiences that all these like powerhouse people who are on our staff have, because if it, this were just me, like I'm, I'm one person with, you know, one small brain, maybe smaller than normal. Sometimes I feel, and Hardly. but it, I mean, that's seriously like, um, that has been probably my favorite. I, I was so excited to develop the rally and the competition and do this for the competitors. And we feel like the course is this gift to the competitors. It's really a cool course. And it goes to amazing places. And we really work hard on that. But my favorite thing is having a killer team. you know that that really all care about each other. And this year, more than ever, we had a team that cared immensely about every single person that was on that rally. That is so cool.
0: I agree. Well,
1: sorry, I'm taking a long time. Oh, no, Emily, this is great. You see, you said I edit this stuff out. Yeah,
0: some of it will get edited out, a lot of it will stay in. <laughs> it's uh, time doesn't matter. I've, I've had these things go over two hours, and I've had them run less than an hour. We're at uh, an hour and almost 48 minutes right now. I would like to say thank you so very much for not only being a friend, being, being who you are and who you've been and where you've taken your spot in the, in this whole grandiose thing that we call off road. You know, it's uh it's more than racing. It's more than rock crawling. It's more than just an industry. You know, it's, it's a lifestyle and that's what, what sold me on it years ago.
1: Thank you. Uh, you know, um, I, I want to say that um, you have been a, a huge encourager to me, whether you know it or not. And Shelly has been a huge encourager to me. And, you know, even like I was really worried when COVID hit because I was really worried about all your events. And, you know, I called you guys, and you were also really encouraging to me. Um, but you just saying yes to this, I mean, you're big Rich Klein, you know? I mean, I, I had people who on the rally for the first time this year, and it might've been one of the Rivian mechanics, maybe. No, it was one of our safety guys said, oh my gosh, Rich Klein is here. I've always wanted to meet him. Like couldn't wait, you know? And, and um, you've just been a, a huge impact. Until he met impact. me, and he was like, wow, that was a disappointment. No way, are you kidding me? There, Who's so, so stoked? And But it, it really is um, validating, and I've also asked you for words of advice and um, wisdom, and it's really, really meaningful because i I don't take it lightly. Like, I really don't take it lightly. Even if I sound like I take it lightly, trust me, I don't.
0: No, I understand that, and and that was one of the things. I remember the the first the first rebel. We were sitting there, a lot, lakeside in Tahoe, in this cabin, and it was the first staff meeting. And everybody's really hard working on everything. And Shelley and I show up, and it's like, okay, you know, we're just, we're, I'm not sure what we're going to be doing. We're not sure, you know, what our place is going to be. And then you start introducing everybody and, and you're talking about how things are going to unfold. And somebody asked a question and you looked at me and said, Rich, what would you do in this situation? And I looked at you and I said, Hey, Emily, it's your event. And you said, I want your advice. What would you do in this situation? I said, well, you know, here's three ways to approach that. And this is probably the one that I would do. And then you looked at me and thought for a couple of seconds and I could see it every all the wheels churning and and then you go yeah that's that's the way we'll do it and everybody else that was there I mean Wu may have known who I was and I knew Jimmy but everybody else was like you know they didn't know who Shelly and I were and I, and I could see the look on their face going who is this old fat guy that's giving her recommendations cuz she's asking him. Why is that, you know? And they didn't know that, you know, at that point I had probably 300 oh. 400 events under my belt yeah. and you know, just a lot of life experience putting on events, that's all. Oh, yeah. And being yeah. able to pivot at the last second.
1: You know, I, I it was I'll tell a funny story about re- that first time because that was pre-evacuation. Yes. So, on the first Reve- bell, we were at Valhalla, which where we returned to this year and I've been trying for five years to do rally school in that vintage old boathouse on the lake, which we now with COVID, we couldn't do it this year. But <laughs> but we
0: got to stay outside.
1: <laughs> we did, which was really nice. Yeah, but it was. Um, at four o'clock in the morning, I was woken up by one of our staff to let me know that there was a forest fire and it was right next to where we were staying. And we had to, Valhalla called us up, told us how to break into the place to get all of our stuff out. And we had to evacuate immediately, and they had closed down the roads. And I remember immediately everyone of our core team jumped into action, and you and Shelly went to the road closure. And then you go to the road closure yes. and you turned everyone around. Jimmy Lewis bypassed the road closure on his motorcycle through the woods to help us come get out of there. It was so funny. But, and then Chrissy Beavis went and found us an alternative location of rally school and the way everyone sprang into action on that first rebel. And, but you just knew like right where to go. Yep. Rich and Shelly, we're going here. Here's what we're going to do. Every single person on our core team, um, our team leads, you know, every person knew exactly what to do. And I just went, that's why we assembled this team, you know, and, and because it starts now. (laughs) the problem solving starts now. And it was really cool to see that. And um, that's why you have to stay on this rally. (laughs) It's because I need the, I need the best people because it's a, it's a beast.
0: Well, thank you. We will, we will definitely be here as long as you'll have us. So just know that.
1: And maybe we don't have to wear face masks next year.
0: That would be awesome. (laughs) Uh, Anyway, thank you, Emily. Thank you. uh, Let's hope for uh, for this to, all this stuff to be behind us and uh, and a great year next year. Yeah.
1: You know, I can say, though, that um, it was a great year this year. Yes. And it would not have been the same if you and Shelly weren't there.
0: Well, thank so, you. So thank
1: you. Like, no joke.
0: Well, we hear it a lot from the girls. Yeah. You know, they, they just say, oh, it's so nice to see your smiling face there. You know, and most of the time it's Shelly's smiling face because... She uh, has I a great smile. I don't smile much, so... Anyway. And I'm
1: really glad you're in the Raptor now because I remember being in Dumont. I was, when we were in Dumont, I was thinking about when you were in the Jeep and the Jeep broke down and the Jeep was great. We just always want to make sure that yeah, we kept just, We couldn't
0: figure out what that, what that problem was. And it was, uh, was in the distributor. It was a pickup in the distributor that was mm. starting to fail. And, uh, we finally got it, figured it out, but the Cherokee was much more capable and could go anywhere when it was running. But it, we nicknamed it this year, the wood stove and we would not have been able to do the rally this year in it with the heats that we mm, we experienced. Mm-hmm, I mean, yeah. even the Tonopah area was warm compared yeah, to was. what it's ever been. It was. And, uh, it would have been, it would have been very difficult to do, to manage the last four days of the rebel without AC. That's oh, all yeah. I can say.
1: <laughs> I don't know how Chris Bockler did it.
0: Yeah. Me neither. <laughs> I heard that. It was crazy. Anyway, again, thank you (laughs) and I will definitely.
1: Thank you, Rich. Thank you.
0: If you enjoy these podcasts, please give us a rating. Share some feedback with us via Facebook or Instagram and share our link among your friends who might be like-minded. Well, that brings this episode to an end. Hope you enjoyed it. We'll catch you next week with Conversations with Big Rich. Thank you very much.